What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Sunday, August 21st, 2022. As we're talking about a wild game from Saturday night in Arizona. Welcome into the show. I don't even know where we're going to begin with this. I've tried to map out a few thoughts that I know I want to make sure to get to. Of course, I'm doing this again after it's already midnight, technically Sunday morning. So I want to make sure to cut to the chase on most of this. There's a lot to get to from this game. The Cardinals defeating the Diamondbacks 16-7 to behind the strength in part of the ultimate insurance inning. An eight-run ninth inning, which I believe is the most runs the Cardinals have scored in a single inning this season. That was some serious insurance. Like a good neighbor, Gorman is there. Paul DeYoung is there. Paul Goldschmidt was there. An incredible effort by the Cardinals to just obliterate the Diamondbacks there in the ninth. It was a wild game, though, long before that. So we've obviously got to get into, well, the latest and greatest by Albert Pujols. Two more home runs on Saturday. That puts him at 692 on the career. I almost said on the season. That'd be a hell of a season. No, 692 for the career for Albert Pujols. He's eight away from the prestigious mark of 700 home runs. There's only been three guys to ever do it. Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. And Albert Pujols, the more we watch, the more I start to believe that there is a chance that number five is going to do it this season. Now that the numbers are down to single digits, and the fact that he again knocked off two in one singular game, I don't know how much it benefits anybody to doubt him anymore. I I know the math. I know it makes no sense. But... This guy has been on an absolute tear of late. And we might try to get into some of the recent numbers if I can sort it through MLB.com because that'll be updated with the inclusion of Saturday's game. I want to do, I, I want to find a, a split maybe last 30 days to see how Albert Pujols stacks up among all MLB hitters if I can come up with something like that over the past month. Because at this point, it's getting to where it's been nearly a month since the All-Star break. And that's when Albert really seemed to turn it on and, and have his season turn the corner. So we'll get into more of the miraculous feats of Albert Pujols. We'll talk Paul Goldschmidt as well, otherwise known as the MVP of the National League. Because he had another ridiculous game on Saturday, punctuated with the big home run. That was part of that eight-run ninth inning. I'll go over his numbers again because they're video game-like. And we'll make sure to heap the praise on Goldie that he deserves. It's no surprise that he's doing this in Arizona, is it? Place he used to play. Put on a show for those fans. I I, I know there's a lot of Cardinals fans that's, that are at this series as well. I think there's Diamondbacks fans who don't mind seeing Goldie do what he's doing. They remember the fond memories of him. And we'll get into the rest of the offense as well. Paul DeYoung uh, made me look pretty foolish. I'll explain how he did that with his grand slam in that ninth inning. I had already opened my fat mouth on Twitter. But I'll talk about why I saw the replies and the people that said, well, this aged well, and, and why that maybe we need to look a little bit beyond just one at bat for Paul DeYoung and use the entire sample size to determine whether or not 
he should still be an everyday player or, or how the Cardinals can maybe most effectively use him moving forward. This isn't going to be bash Paul DeYoung hour, but I think we have to be honest about the 20 at-bats that took place prior to the marvelous, wonderful, incredible Grand Slam that helped the Cardinals to the 16-7 to victory. We'll talk Dakota Hudson as well, kind of after we get through all the positives from the night, because there were many. We'll get into Dakota Hudson's night, and I'll express a little bit of frustration there, blow off a little bit of steam, because I... He just keeps doing the same darn stuff, guys. And uh, I don't know. For this year, I think the writing is on the wall for what that's going to mean for his future in the rotation. But I, I don't know that it's any more encouraging, if you're Dakota Hudson, what these outings are doing for his future with the Cardinals as a starter. So we'll talk a little bit about Hudson as well after he goes four and a third innings and gives up four runs tonight. Kind of forgotten in this game, honestly, because of all the stuff that happened after his departure. But we'll get into that, and we'll talk a little bit of Jordan Hicks as well. Not great in terms of his relief appearance. There's not really a lot to say about it other than it was bad, but uh, we'll we'll make mention of that as well. And then we'll get into another, I guess it's a negative topic, but it's off the field related because we've got more Yachty drama. Yadier Molina, the news uh, coming out Saturday afternoon that Yachty was placed on the restricted list by the Cardinals heading back to Puerto Rico for Saturday and Sunday, but expected to be back with the team when they begin their series in Chicago against the Cubbies on Monday. So I'll give you my thoughts on the situation that we don't know a ton about, but through some speculation, uh, there's there's maybe more information to be gleaned from the situation than might meet the eye. I'll get into a little bit of the speculation game. Not too far, but I'll I'll tell you what I do believe about the situation, if it is, in fact, the thing that everybody is speculating as the reason for Yachty's brief absence this weekend from Arizona heading to Puerto Rico. So we'll get into all that and more on today's episode of B-Shape Daily. But before we jump into the content hot and heavy, I want to remind you guys that you can subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and I would love it if you would do so as having the audience for the show grow is the name of the game for me. Would love to just continue to make B-Shape Daily bigger and better as we roll along. There are other elements and and ways you can get involved in the show as well. Sometimes I don't always mention all of them. One that I'd like to bring up right now, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. If you go to that URL, you'll be able to record your own voicemail message and have it played on the B-Shape Daily podcast. I'll be able to add it right in and answer your questions, comments, or anything that you'd like to say about the Cardinals, about the Yachty situation, about whether or not Albert can get to 700. It's your opportunity to be a part of the show. So we'd love if you'd like to take advantage of that as well. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. At bshafer12 on Twitter, you go to my Twitter profile, click on the money tab, and you can support the show via Venmo or Cash App there. Joel, my buddy Joel, recently did so. I want to give him a shout-out and say I appreciate you for that, Joel. And another way that you can join the party is on Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12. You're going to get some unbuttoned articles, more like blogs, that I'll occasionally give my thoughts on the Cardinals. And we'll have some podcasts over there moving forward as well that will be separate from the bshafe daily feed. But if you simply just want to say, hey, I appreciate bshafe daily, so I'm going to head over to Patreon and join you over there, that would mean a lot to me as well. But enough of that. Let's get into the content of the show for tonight. As the Cardinals, they're once again winners over the Diamondbacks, 16-7. to And you can couple that with the fact that the Cubs defeated the Milwaukee Brewers in walk-off fashion 
on Saturday afternoon, and suddenly, suddenly, I guess my co-host for the big show, Andy Humphrey, is not all that crazy because we had a segment earlier this past week where he asked the question, how far ahead would the Cardinals need to be at the end of August for you to consider the NL Central completely wrapped up by that point? And I said, well, I don't know, Andy, what do you think? He said, oh, about 12 games. And I said, buddy, why are we even talking about this? That's crazy. Cardinals aren't going to get 12 games up by the end of August. And so he said, okay, okay, what about nine games? Would that be enough to where you'd say, yes, it's a, it's on lock. The Cardinals, that's an insurmountable lead if they end the month of August up nine on the Brewers. And I said, well, sure. And this might have even been, I don't know, 10 days ago or so at this point. It was as though I think the Cardinals were maybe a game up, maybe two, when we had this discussion. I said, okay, Andy, sure, nine games. Yeah, that would do the trick. But that's not really going to happen either at the end of August. Well, the Cardinals are now five games up on the Brewers. And I think back to that tweet from July 7th where the Brewers replied to a Cardinal fan and said, I don't even remember what the the comment was. It was something mundane, just kind of having a little fun on Twitter. And then the Brewers sniped back and said, sorry, we can't hear you from all the way back there three games behind or whatever they said. I guess I could look up the actual tweet instead of paraphrasing it because I interacted with it within the past hour or two. So all I'd have to do, guys, is go to my Twitter, at bshafer12, and I could pull it up. And here it is. Sorry, couldn't hear you from three games back. That's all the Milwaukee Brewers said. And, uh, well, now they're five games back. So what's their hearing like from, from that distance? Who could know? It's crazy to see, and I know we're a Cardinals podcast, but I think people are interested as well in what's going on with the Brewers because it directly relates to how the Cardinals are doing in the standings. It's crazy to me that the Brewers have fallen off at the rate that they have. But part of me wonders if it, like, if they had Josh Hader, would it be the same? Because he has struggled tremendously. If you look at his numbers with the Padres, he's been removed temporarily, they say, from the, the closer job in San Diego. But for me, it's almost like it doesn't matter what Hader is actually doing for the Padres. It was the mental aspect of the front office telling that clubhouse, hey, we're going to trade our closer right now while you're in first place in the division. That's what I think really has stung this team, and the Brewers just haven't really recovered from that mentally. I think it's more of a mental, emotional thing than it is the physical balls and strikes, the X's and O's of what Hader would have brought to the ninth inning versus Devin Williams versus whomever else they're using, Taylor Rogers, who came over in that trade. I think it's like a double-edged sword where they, like maybe they keep Hader and it ends up being rough because he's going through some stuff. Maybe he's got a dead arm. Maybe he's hurt. Who knows? But it almost seems like in doing what was supposedly the savvy business move, if they thought, oh, Hader's cooked, we need to get whatever value we can for him. That might have been savvy on paper. But if you can't relate that message to the clubhouse and explain how, hey, we still believe in you as a front office, you're you're playing with fire in that situation. And I don't know that you can trace all the issues the Brewers have had back to that deal. Probably not. There's a lot that goes into these losing streaks when they happen. But it is wild. And the Cardinals are sure the beneficiaries now leading by five games. But hey, the Cardinals, it's not like they've been resting on their laurels. First of all, they did the opposite of the trade deadline. They fixed a need, a tremendously large need in the starting rotation by adding Quintana and Jordan Montgomery. But then they've gone on to just win a bunch of games. Cardinals have now won six in a row again. They recently had a seven-game winning streak, sandwiching either side of that 
rough little Rockies series back in Denver, August 9 through 11. Yeah, they lost two of three in that series, but otherwise they have been rock stars for the month of August. So it's it's all coming up red right now for the Cardinals. And uh, Saturday night was no different. Let's talk about the offense and what went right. Well, obviously, Albert Pujols went right. Four for four, two more home runs. His average is up to 269, and 858 is the OPS for the season. That is bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. He's doing this at 42 years old. Incredible. Incredible stuff. So I decided instead of continuing to do the thing that I had been doing, which is look at his baseball reference and tell you what it was yesterday and say, well, sorry, it didn't update yet. I decided let's just go MLB.com, sort by the last 30 days, because it's basically now it coincides sort of when with when Albert started his uh, ridiculous tear after the All-Star break. And let me tell you, the numbers are pretty impressive. A 438 batting average. This is over the last month, the last 30 days for Albert. He's hitting 438 with a 491 on base. That's basically hitting on base half the time. And a slugging percentage of 938 for a 1429 OPS. Are you kidding me with these numbers, Albert Pujols? 42 years old, Albert Pujols. Up to 692 home runs in his career. The two homers he hit tonight were identical, almost to the exact same spot over the outfield wall in left center. Just two tank jobs. He hit another one that was off the wall for a single and then hits a base hit through the left side to advance to four for four on the day. Over the past 30 days, Albert has hit seven home runs, has 17 RBIs, uh, three doubles to go along with that as well. Did get caught stealing tonight. That uh, You can forgive him for that one, right, folks? I don't think you're too worried about it. Hey, sometimes when it's your night, you feel like it's really your night, and Albert thought he'd, he'd test it a little bit there and uh, didn't, didn't exactly go his way. That's okay. But the 1429 OPS for Albert of the past 30 days is, of course, the best in Major League Baseball. I guess technically no. Chadwick Trump of the Atlanta Braves has gone three for four over the uh, month. He had one game that he played in, and he's got an OPS of 2,000. Albert's played in 17 games and has had 48 at-bats. The only guy that is even remotely close to what Albert has done over the past month with at least you know 20 at-bats, well, that's Paul Goldschmidt. 1292 is his OPS over the past 30 days. And those guys happen to play for the t- the same team. Oh, and by the way, there's another guy, Nolan Arenado, who's got a 1040 OPS the past 30 days. Three guys in this lineup with an OPS greater than 1,000 over the past month. No wonder this team has caught fire all of a sudden. That's just bonkers numbers. And all of those guys are continuing to get it done in all facets of the game. Arenado was a paltry one for five tonight. Only had a double to his credit. Didn't even hit a home run. Although he absolutely smoked that ball off the wall and left center on his double. I mean, I have to go back and look at the stat cast of that because that's one that, as I was watching live, I thought that is just absolutely rifled. And I don't think it ever really got high enough to get out of the park. That's really the only reason it wasn't a home run. Chase Field, a little bit spacious. They they still call it Chase Field? I think they do. I had to figure that that Arenado hit would have been just ridiculous on the exit velocity as I'm stalling here to look it up. 
101.8. So that's not so bad. That's not as much as I thought it would have been. Certainly there were harder hit balls in the game. Albert hit one at 109. Tyler O'Neill at 108.8. Albert 107. Albert 105. Lars Newpar 105. So the Cardinals had the top five exit velocities of the game. All, all to the Cardinals side, none to the Diamondback side, none for you, Gresham Wieners, in that scenario. 18 hits overall for the Cardinals tonight. Mentioned that Arenado had the double. He also had a really ridiculous defensive play, by the way, while I'm thinking about him. I want to get this out. The chopper by Alec Thomas, I believe it was Thomas, I think it bounced off the plate. It went very high into the air to where there was n- basically no play for anyone that's like a human third baseman. But the Cardinals have Arenado on their team, which made it possible. And he barehanded it. And, like, you have to rush the throwing motion. So I don't know that it's a surprise that it wasn't exactly a perfect throw. But he short arms and gets as much mustard on this ball as he can. But how about Paul Goldsmith just to be, like, ready for it to not be a perfect throw and to scoop it the way that he does without missing a beat? It's ridiculous. These two are ridiculous defensively. They both should win the gold glove. They should be in the top three in MVP voting. It's it's astounding what these guys are doing, but I, I wanted to heap a little bit of praise for the defensive play. Like, Arenado and Goldie both, the reaction time that it would have taken for Goldsmith to recognize what that throw was going to be and scoop it from, I don't know what the distance was, but it had to have been some something, I don't know, 45, 50 feet? Like, he was on the, the first base side of the mound by the time he threw it, I'm, I'm pretty sure, if I'm recalling this correctly. That's just ridiculous. By Arenado. Goldsmith, ridiculous offensively. Three for six, two runs. I mentioned the home run. Four RBIs. Up to 1062 on the OPS for the season. 341 is the batting average for Paul Goldsmith. Nobody nobody touches this guy. Nobody is touching this guy for MVP. He's got 11 home runs over the past month. And 30 runs driven in now. Which puts him at 100 for the season. And my dad asked me this actually today on the phone whether Goldsmith could win the Triple Crown. And I said, well, to me, what's most impressive and important is not the Triple Crown, in my opinion. I, I, when I see batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage, and you've got one guy leading all of those, to me, that's almost more impressive than Triple Crown because it just shows a well-rounded game in all regards. And that's what Paul Goldsmith has done to this point. Leading, and we've talked about it, and continued to update you guys on B-Shafe Daily before, but I'll do it again now. I'll start with the batting average. 341 leads all of Major League Baseball right now. Luis Arias for the Twins had been ahead, but he's down to 333. Goldie is at 341, leading all Major League players, not just NL guys, but everybody, all qualifying players. He leads all qualifying players in on-base percentage as well, 422. Second place is Juan Soto at 416, the Cardinal who wasn't. And slugging percentage, well, he's second to Aaron Judge, but that guy's got 46 home runs. So Goldie's lagging behind in that category at just 31. However, in the, in the slugging is 640 to 657, so Goldie is just behind, but he leads all National League players pretty easily in slugging. However, when it comes to the Triple Crown, I think it's getting much more attainable, especially after Saturday's effort, because he really gained in the RBI category. Pete Alonso didn't get any new RBIs. So Goldie up to 100 for the season in RBIs. Alonso's at 102. Home runs. Kyle Schwarber still stuck on 34. Goldie's up to 31. So it's possible that 
at the end of the season, you'll see Paul Goldschmidt with the most home runs, the most RBIs, the highest batting average, on-base slugging, and OPS in the National League. Like, he's really dangerously close to making that happen right now. Oh, and he's the best defensive first baseman in the game. What else is there to talk about? He's the MVP of the league. He's just been incredible. Let's get into some of the other Cardinals efforts tonight because I do have to get into some of the bad stuff that happened. And I want to try to wrap this thing up because it's my Saturday, darn it. And I don't want to have to do an hour here with you guys as much as I love you. Let's talk about Tyler O'Neill. There's a tweet from my buddy Caleb. Oh, and I have to mention my other buddy Caleb as well because he had a bad beat in the uh, the gambling arena as a guy. I'll start with that because it kind of relates back to Albert Pujols talking about his two home run game. Caleb lives in Arizona. He went to the first game of the series and legal sports gambling out there. He fired up the old sports betting app and, and threw 20 bucks on Albert to hit a homer, which I think would have paid him $92 in profit. But he also, savvy better, put $20 on Albert to have a multi-home run game. Caleb Bridge for the Cardinals. He wants to be there. He's a big Albert Pujols guy. Wanted to see Albert hit two tanks and you know, maybe get some money in the process. That would have paid like a thousand bucks, I think, if that bet would have hit. But of course, the problem is Caleb went to Friday's game, not Saturday's game. And so he didn't bet it on Saturday either, which means two bets were a loser. And uh, and so was Caleb, unfortunately, when it comes to the, uh, the, the weekend gambling escapades. Sorry, buddy, but I did tell you I'd shout you out for this. So there you go. My other buddy, Caleb, though, he mentioned on Twitter that Tyler O'Neill is almost unfair. When Tyler O'Neill gets going, the Cardinals are unfair as a lineup. And I retweeted that and said, there have been these conversations this year, and it's always like a question to Ollie Marmel, it seems like, where it'll be phrased something like this. Ollie, you've said such and such. The Cardinals aren't at their best until such and such is really contributing at his best. That's sort of the premise of the line of questioning. And Ollie has said this about a few different guys, but the one that I really do believe it about, like he said it about DeYoung, but about Tyler O'Neill is who I really do believe it's true. And maybe you could make the case that, well, Paul DeYoung, you were wrong about him when you made the claim that you did about he should not necessarily be an everyday player. Then you hit a grand slam and dunked on your head. Ha ha. I'll read the tweet that I sent and then I'll, I'll explain the fun I had with some of the replies after Paul DeYoung made me look stupid. But I believe it with Tyler O'Neill because he, what he did last year is so unique. Like Paul DeYoung, the Cardinals have been succeeding the past four or five games and he's been over. Yes, tonight he did help out with a big grand slam, put the game out of reach. Cardinals were already ahead at that point, but like a good neighbor, you know, I love the insurance. I love Nolan Gorman pinch hitting for Albert. And again, Ollie Marmel's not afraid to do that. Good to see Gorman get a chance in Arizona. He had a bunch of friends and family there all weekend long with with a group of tickets because he's from there. Good to see him get a chance and good to see him come through with a base hit that drove in a couple of runs there in the ninth inning. But for me, more so than any other Cardinal, more so than Dylan Carlson, who I think has upside, but we haven't really seen that fully realized yet, more so than Tommy Edmond, more so than Paul DeYoung, of the Cardinals who have sort of We know they've got potential, but they haven't necessarily lived up to it offensively this year. Tyler O'Neill is the one that I totally would agree with. When the Cardinals have him going, that's the guy that brings the team to a different level. With what he did last year, finished eighth in the MVP vote, it was unique. It was 
it was a skill set that you don't see every day. And to add a skill set like that to a lineup that also has the guys I've I've listed in what they've done the past 30 days, Albert Pujols, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, those three guys going. And if you add Tyler O'Neill from 2021 in that, the Cardinals probably win the World Series. Like, there's nowhere else for it to go. A 9-12 OPS, 560 slugging percentage. He hit 34 home runs last year. A 148 OPS plus. That means he's 48% better in 2021 than league average at his position. Won the gold glove, finished eighth in the MVP vote. If you have that guy as your third or fourth best hitter in a given stretch, you're going to do some damage. And that's why it's just been so critical, and I've harped on it so much, to see Tyler O'Neill find a way to get it going more consistently. And I'd like to look at these numbers and find that maybe that's been the case. I'm going to go all the way back to July 14th because that was the second time he returned from a stint on the injured list. And he's had a lot of ups and downs since then, so I don't feel like this is an arbitrary endpoint situation where I'm going to make him look good or bad because I'm trying to play gotcha. It just kind of is what he's been for the better part of five, six weeks. And sadly, this is prior to tonight because I'm back on baseball reference. 202 batting average with a 643 OPS. And that's kind of right in line with what he's done for the full season as well for Tyler O'Neill. 228 on the full season average with a 650 OPS. So that's kind of a bummer because when you hear those statistics, you're realizing, okay, Tyler O'Neill has not been that guy has not been the guy that he was in 2021 and that can be a capable contributor as far as carrying this lineup from time to time when it feels like it would be very valuable for him to do so. And I'll go ahead and look last 30 days just to give you the same split I've been giving for Goldie, Arenado, Albert. 654 OPS, 230 batting average over the past 30 days specifically. So that is inclusive with the game he had tonight. Now the game he had tonight was a good one. Two for six. Drove in a run, or scored a run, rather. And had a double in the game, his ninth of the season. That's positive. We're feeling good about that kind of night. But if Tyler O'Neill can do that consistently, and he's batting second tonight, O'Neill, Goldie, Arenado, Pujols, that's dangerous. It, it almost doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. And, of course, what other guys are doing, guys like Lars Newpar, that's a guy whose last 30 days we should really dive into and make sure we're giving proper credit because Lars Newpar has been unbelievable and he's such a fun player. Fans love to see this guy getting opportunities. Last 30 days, he's not actually getting, let me make sure I got this right. No, no, this is for full season. This is for full season. So I have to go back. I, I messed up on that Tyler O'Neill thing. And it's too late at night for me to, uh, to go back. I'm going to give you the last 30 days on Tyler O'Neill. And then I'm going to reiterate what I said. Cardinals do need to get him going. Good to see him do it tonight. So last 30 days, 203, 649. 203 average, 649 OPS for Tyler O'Neill. Lars Newtbar last 30 days. Thank God they're giving this guy a chance to play. And it, I guess it was happening in conjunction with the Harrison-Bader trade anyway, but it had happened before that because Bader was injured. So it wasn't as though... There were other options. I know Alec Burleson is a name we've talked about from Memphis. And I feel like the Cardinals should give him an opportunity. Especially, I mean, if you see O'Neal go on a slump like an 0 for 20, like DeYoung, which is not to say he can't work his way out of it as DeYoung did tonight. But 
if you see that, man, I would be inclined to give Alec Burleson some at-bats at the big league level. But you're kind of stuck on the roster because of Corey Dickerson, and he's been good over the past 30 days. 884 is his OPS with a 344 batting average, but it's like he can't get in the batting lineup. Only 32 ABs in the past month because you've got the upside of everybody else that's playing around him as well. And so they're trying to get O'Neill going because they know that at his best, he's going to be better than what Corey Dickerson could be at his. So that's why they're really trying to give O'Neill that that long leash to prove what he can be, prove what he's been. Like it's Tyler said this earlier in the week, back when they were still at the stadium, he said, I, I proved last year the kind of player I am, and that is still the player I am. And Tyler O'Neill believes that completely. He just, it's got to be shown on the field more consistently this year than he has from offensive perspective, right? He's still a very good defender, but offensively, the consistency for Tyler has just not been there. And the Cardinals are better when when it is. So I understand continuing to put him in the lineup, but guys like Burleson, I thought, man, maybe they get a chance. He's a, he's a slugger, corner outfield type, could end up being a really good major leaguer. We just aren't seeing him yet, so we don't really know. But Lars Newpar has kind of put the kibosh on that for me with what he's done. Over the last 30 days, 265 average, 411 on base with an 867 OPS for Lars Newpar. And tonight, he does it again. It just seems like whether he's batting leadoff or batting ninth, it doesn't matter. He's finding his way on base multiple times. Three for three with two walks tonight. He was on base five times. That's stupid. His season, not stupid, but like good stupid. You know what I'm saying? His season OPS is 792. This is a guy that was batting like 150 for the longest time, couldn't buy an at-bat, had to go back to Memphis, back and forth on the shuttle. And suddenly, it's as though he's had a rock-solid season all the way through, if you look at his numbers. 242, the batting average. Again, his average was in the low 100s for a while. In his OPS, he has one more game like this, or even a game half this good. His OPS is going to be 800. And that is that's a really good OPS. That's an elite offensive player. And he's a good defender in right field. What if Lars Newpar is just, and I mean, he obviously is right now, but what if we just haven't really been classifying him in our mind the way that we should? What if he's not a guy that you're happy to have around for the next five years as a fourth outfielder? What if he's just your starting right fielder moving forward? Like, there's no reason to deviate from that if Lars Newpar is this guy the rest of the season. That should be the plan for 2023. Like, when I did that, couple of weeks ago, I I mocked what the 2024 lineup could look like. I don't know how much of a mention I made of Lars Newpar. I was all, yeah, Jordan Walker, right field, that's going to be cool. I I might have to go Mia Culpa on that because Lars Newpar is playing like a guy. I mean, he's young. He's a young, exciting player just because he wasn't a top 10 prospect in Major League Baseball. I don't even know if he ever etched his way into the top 100. Doesn't matter. Lars Newpar has been fantastic in every element of the game. And, like, Harrison Bader was a fan favorite. I get that. Lars Newpar is going to reach Harrison Bader levels of fans just loving this guy. And maybe, and then some, with the way that he's playing right now. I would love for this to continue for Newpar because he's a good dude and he's a, a really exciting player when it's going well. And there's nothing not to like about three for three with two walks and three runs scored. Three runs driven in. There's just not. Fantastic, wonderful stuff. He had a triple tonight, his third of the season. He's been fantastic. So I did want to make sure I gushed about him for a little bit. Let's talk about one more element of the lineup as we sort of transition into talking about some less exciting stuff, but stuff that we do need to get into anyway. I'll talk about Paul DeYoung. He was 0 for 20 before he busted out of it in a big way 
with the Grand Slam as part of that eight-run ninth inning. And, of course, me opening up the stupid Twitter app on my phone an hour or so prior to that, I got caught in between. Was I going to say previous or prior? What are you going to say? Well, I'm just going to say both and hope nobody notices. No, I said this. Paul DeYoung has faded into obscurity again. He doesn't have to be a full-time player at this point. I'd have Brendan Donovan in there more times than not, regardless of opposing pitcher handedness. And the reason that I said this is because it's similar to what I talked about last night. Brendan Donovan, while he's maybe not as good defensively as Paul DeYoung at shortstop, he doesn't have to necessarily play shortstop to be in the lineup. He can be a DH on certain days, obviously not against lefties because that's reserved for Albert. But he doesn't have to DH. He can play second base. Now, Gorman is going to play second base against righties most of the time. Tommy Edmond is still in that mix. Paul DeYoung is going to play shortstop, but sometimes he doesn't have to is the point of this conversation. And you could put Edmond at shortstop and still have Donovan in the lineup at second and still have Albert as a DH or have Gorman at second and Donovan as a DH or vice versa. It doesn't matter to me. You can find ways to get these guys in the lineup. Who it has to come at the expense of, though, I think is primarily DeYoung and then number two, Edmund. And Tommy Edmund can be a spark plug kind of player for this team, but it's been nearly five months of a season, and we can look at the numbers and say that offensively, Edmund is lagging behind with a 681 OPS. 252 is a decent enough batting average. The on base, you'd like it to be a little bit higher. Tonight, he was 0 for 3, but he reached base twice via walk, and he scored a run both times. So I have no problem with that from Tommy Edmund tonight. So 400 OBP for the evening. No problem with that at all. But I think that Brendan Donovan can do that and then some because he's shown over the course of this year, at least, that he's a very good on-base type of player. And he's also shown that it doesn't matter whether it's against a lefty or a righty. 782 OPS against righties, 788 against lefties. The on-base, 391 against right, 455 against left. His on-base for the year is sitting right now at 403. So Brendan Donovan has been that guy over the course of 257 at-bats and however many plate appearances. and We didn't see him in the lineup tonight, but I'm just kind of stumping for that a little bit more moving forward and articulating the moving parts of the middle infield to explain that there's room for it to happen. If Paul DeYoung's going to whip out a, a grand slam every day, then that's great. But he did have the 0 for 20, and of course, like I said, I, I tweeted that out and said, yeah, he doesn't have to be an everyday player. And so after he homered, I started making some ruckus and my my wife's like, What are you what's going on? Oh, what was that? Was that good? I'm like, Yeah, it's good that Paul DeYoung's figuring it out, but it was just a guarantee that he was gonna do that specifically to me to make me look bad. No, that's not why it happened. But I did tweet out, I said it was a mortal lock that DeYoung was about to do that. By that, I mean hit the grand slam. Just an absolute ironclad guarantee. I mean, when I tell you I felt it in my soul as the lock of the century when he stepped into the batter's box, like it was just a guarantee at this at that point, right? It was, yes, it was insurance, it's valuable, but it was almost like, yeah, it was kind of icing on the on the cake. They already had the game probably on lock, but that just made it more of a guarantee. Like Gorman's hit was the, the real insurance, and then DeYoung does it and Goldie does it, so it, now it's cool, everybody's doing it. But I was just like, of course he's going to do that. And I hope it, I, listen, I hope it sparks him and I hope it continues, but I think... Hot and cold is going to be the nature of Paul DeYoung, and you can live with that if the end-of-season numbers say OPS 750 and not OPS 615. Right now it says OPS 615, and so 
how many of those games of Ofer and not seeing the ball well and four strikeouts do you have to go through to get to the Grand Slam? I've said it numerous times. Paul DeYoung is as good as anyone at hitting mistakes, at, at finding a way to exploit bad pitching and making the opposition pay for it. He's as good as anyone, but it's not going to happen every day. So if he gets to where he's showing better against quality pitching as well, you're going to see those numbers go up, but they do have to go up in order to continue to justify to Young as a quasi-everyday player. That's kind of the way I see it. I'm rooting for him. I hope it works out, but I do see Brendan Donovan not getting as many at-bats and thinking, lefty, righty, doesn't matter. He's going to get on base 40% of the time. That's what he's done this year. And if he falls off, then you can start to mix and match. But I would want to see more Brendan Donovan. I'm not saying less Paul DeYoung, but if Paul DeYoung's not hitting, then that is what I'm saying. Less Paul DeYoung if he's not able to sustain the type of power and damaging swings that we saw right when he came up from Memphis the first time. And obviously that we saw in the ninth inning tonight because I looked like a doofus. So there you go. An area for which I did not look like a doofus, though, was my discussion of Dakota Hudson recently where I have harped on and harped on and harped on the notion of the free passes that he gives away. I mentioned it last night that Arizona is seventh in MLB in walks per game. They do a good job of making the opposing pitcher throw strikes. And if they don't, they're going to find their way on base because of it. And I issued the challenge to Dak and I said on the show yesterday, if I could see one thing from Hudson, I'd like to see no walks in this start on Saturday. Now that didn't happen. He walks two in the first inning, two runs score in that inning. Arizona's not a good enough team to beat you offensively if they don't get those free passes. But when they do, they will take advantage of them. That's exactly what happened. Two runs in the first inning, two runs in the third inning. The walks come back to haunt Dakota Hudson. Three walks in four and a third innings. That's not a sustainable rate for a starting pitcher in a contending rotation. It's just not. And you're probably going to find, if you're Dakota Hudson, maybe almost regardless at this point, like he could have a good start next week, but Jack Flaherty is inevitable at this point, is how it feels. As long as he stays healthy and continues to progress, he's going to find a spot in that rotation, and Hudson's is the one that gets that gets bumped. He just has not been consistent enough. He's not getting deep. It's It's a similar story every start. And tonight, four and a third, can't get through the fifth, gives up five hits, which is not the end of the world, but you tack on the three walks that he gave up, and that's how you give up four runs. It is going to happen like clockwork. And it's unfortunate that that was the case, but much more fortunate that the Cardinals were able to still find the win. They're 9-0 and now in game two of a road trip this season. They they broke the streak. They were 0-8 in game one of a road trip prior to Friday in 2022, and they got that win. Broke the streak. Talked about that on B-Shape Daily yesterday. Scroll back, by the way, if you haven't listened to Friday's episode, which dropped on Saturday morning. Great stuff. But the Cardinals were able to break that streak, and then they keep the good aspect of the streak intact. They have not lost this year in Game 2 of a road trip. So kind of spooky. I don't know what to make of it, but maybe you can use it to your advantage next time in the uh, the sports betting arena in your jurisdiction of legality. Uh, good to see Hennessy Cabrera get in there, help Dakota Hudson out of the fifth inning. He ends up getting credit for the win. Uh, Andre Pallante is fantastic. 2.89 ERA for Pallante this season. Two scoreless. Uh, Jordan Hicks, not good. Gave up a walk, three hits, three runs. Gallegos, J- uh, Jojo Romero looked pretty decent in his Cardinals debut. Two strikeouts, 
in the ninth inning of uh, of a nine-run game. Somebody asked me on Twitter, is that enough insurance after the Cardinals scored eight runs in the ninth? I said, well, I, even if Albert was pitching the ninth inning, yes, that would be that would be enough insurance. So that's kind of the breakdown. I don't have a whole lot more to say about Hudson other than you hope to see him kind of find it and do better the next time. For 2023, though, he could definitely be a guy who I could see being a trade candidate because his numbers overall, not horrible. Like a 4.33 ERA isn't great. But I could see another team going, oh, he's still pretty young. Oh, maybe we could get something out of him uh, and we'll we'll throw an asset to the Cardinals, whatever that might look like. It might just be a way for the Cardinals to clear space. And I don't normally speculate a ton about who the Cardinals might look to get rid of this far in advance, but Hudson's a guy that I think could still have some value to some teams. And I think the Cardinals maybe just are getting to a point where they don't want to see that type of performance with the walks and the slow pace and the not getting deep into games every fifth day. I don't I don't know how much more time they're going to have for that. And it may be that it coincides with Jack Flaherty's return at the end of August and ends up working that you find Dakota in the bullpen. Maybe Dakota can get back to being a good pitcher in relief. That could be something that helps him. I don't know. He's had good years as a starter, though. That's the other tricky part of this. Like, could it just be first full season removed from Tommy John? That's why we're seeing the struggles. But at this point, I just don't know... I don't know if that's really a, a hypothesis that I could lean back on and, and really believe in. So I'd like to see better from him, but it's just been kind of consistently the same where walks can do the guy damage, and when he cleans up the walks, he ends up being a pretty good pitcher and having a good day. Right now, we're not seeing it enough, but you know what? The Cardinals aren't really... They're not, it's not costing them anything right now, so no big deal. The question of Yadier Molina, is it a big deal? is uh, one that raged on Cardinals Twitter on Saturday afternoon and evening. Is it a big deal that Yadier Molina is on the restricted list? Cardinals knew this was coming. It's why they had Ivan Herrera on the taxi squad. That might have been a, a move that we missed talking about because it was minor compared to Ryan Helsley on the paternity list, etc. But that was announced on Friday. So the Cardinals knew a day in advance at least that they were going to need another catcher because Yachty would be unavailable for Saturday and Sunday. Now, in what was reported that I have seen anyway, Katie Wu said that the Cardinals clarified that it was personal matter for Yachty or Molina. Derek Gould said that it was business-related, and he wrote an article about it. And it was mentioned, and it was mentioned by many people on Twitter as well, that Yadier Molina's basketball team that he owns in Puerto Rico is playing for a championship this weekend. Game six of a seven-game series on Saturday, and they're up 3-2, so a chance to clinch it there, or if it needs to go game seven on Sunday, could clinch it there. Yadier Molina owns the team. People speculating that with it being reported that it's a business-related reason, does Yadi just want to go watch basketball, and that's the long and short of it. I'm sitting here telling you I don't know that that's the case or not the case. I don't have any idea. But I will speculate on how I would feel about it if that were the case. Because there's been a lot of people talking about this and saying, well, if you're one of those who had a problem with Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt not being in the Toronto series because of the vaccine mandate and their refusal to comply with it, and so they couldn't travel to Canada and get back into the country thereafter, then you you know you better be up in arms too about this Yachty situation. And I said, okay, 
Now, if you listen to B-Shape Daily, you know how I felt about Arnado and Goldie. I thought it was a, a situation where the cognitive dissonance just was overwhelming, really, because I couldn't figure out, I couldn't square the circle of how two guys that I know care more than anybody about competition and about being there for their team and being professional and and doing all the things that you're supposed to do, checking off every little box as a teammate. So that's not me saying, oh, so you bring that up, so you're bad. that means they're bad teammates. No, I never said that. You go back to every episode, I never said that. I questioned just how you square that circle, knowing the, the mentality those players have. How does it get to a point where they put themselves into a situation where they cannot play in that series? And for me, it was never, well, the Cardinals won one of those games, so it didn't actually matter. No, I'm always going to give you my thought before something happens. I don't need to know the result. It's not a results-oriented process. It's a process-oriented sort of situation. Process over results is a great way to go about living. Sometimes you might have the right process and the wrong result happened. That doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. It just means that that time it didn't happen to work out. Sometimes shit happens. That's the That's literally the nature of why you hear the phrase process over results. But in that case, I was honest about struggling with that mentally and not understanding. And people said, well, it's not your place to understand. And we had all these back and forths and it was really a great fun time. But my point is I talked about it for two days and then it was really done and I haven't brought it up again since. And the reason I bring it up now is because it was being brought up again on Twitter tonight in relation to this Yachty situation. And I I think it's such a cop out when I see people say, well, I know nobody's going to talk about Yadier Molina the way they did Goldschmidt and Arenado. What do you know about that for? Because I'm going to tell you here right now, if it is because Yadi simply wanted to go watch his basketball team in the championship, I think the same things I would think about Arenado and Goldie. How is it that we've heard all these great things about Yadier Molina? He's a great teammate. He's a warrior, all these things. If he would go miss two regular season games just to go watch basketball, like I'm not saying that's what it is, but I'm commenting on it as though that were the case, hypothetically, if that's what has happened here, which we may never know the full answer. Maybe Yachty comes back and says, yeah, that, that's what it is. Maybe Yachty comes back and says, ah, I'm just, I was really dealing with some personal things. It was coincidental. You know, I, I did go to the basketball game or I didn't, but I also had this other stuff to deal with. Maybe he just doesn't say anything because he doesn't feel obligated to do so. And I, that's the same thing I said with Goldie and Arnado. Okay, their non-explanations about COVID, I thought those explanations didn't give very much insight. They didn't, objectively. But it was also their right to answer those questions as they pleased. Yadier Molina has the exact same right when he comes back. And if he feels it's personal in nature, he can say so. And then there, there won't be anything much more concrete about it. The same as there wasn't anything more concrete about, well, why did Arnado feel like he shouldn't get vaccinated? Why did Goldie feel that that was the best decision for him? Like, what was at the root of that? What website did they find that that info from that they decided that was their reason? What doctor did they go to? Like, we can speculate, and it doesn't really matter because it's over now, and unless the Cardinals play the Blue Jays in the World Series, it's not going to be a factor again. But the thing about it is, for me, I can recognize that, but I can also contextualize it by saying, in the moment, it's something that we're going to talk about because we're a Cardinals podcast, and on, on Twitter, there's a lot of Cardinals fans, and they like to talk about Things going on with the team. And so there are people in the camp right now of, if it's for basketball, that's great. I think Yachty should get to do that, and it's no problem with me, and that's fine. If that's how you feel, I'm more power to you. 
There are people who also feel, though, that not only is it fine with them, you're a dummy if you do have a problem with it. And that's where I draw the line. I said, well, no, you're you're the only person that can be wrong in this situation. If you're the one saying, I think this way, and if you don't think the way I think, then you're wrong about it. Because I certainly think there are Cardinals fans who it's well within their right to care that Yadier Molina is not at these games. Feels like, yeah, that's a guy that should be there for his team. He's already taken a lot of time in Puerto Rico this season. Not sure why he was there for as long as he was. Yes, his knee was injured, but you also saw him kicking a basketball at a game. Like, those things are things that happened and they're documented. So, if people have opinions on it and they feel a little squirrely about Yadier Molina's 2022, that's totally within somebody's right to feel that way. And with Goldie and Arenado, it, hey, I didn't ever tell anybody how to feel. I said, don't tell me how to treat it myself. Don't tell me what my opinion ought to be or what I do need to care about or ask about or not because I'm I'm totally within my right. Everybody's got their their right to care as much or as little as they want about a given situation. And for me, I'm sitting on the sidelines here. Like, I'm not a Cardinals fan at this point in my life. I once was. I grew up a Cardinals fan. But my role now is to be more analytical, and it doesn't ruin my day when the Cardinals lose a game. I want to get on here and and talk about what it means for those who are much more heavily invested from a a personal stake. And I, I enjoy doing that. But what that means for this Yachty situation is that I come on and say, man, the way I view it, if Yachty decided to go watch basketball and that's why he's not with the team right now, like that's crazy. That's, that's wild. Like I don't have to bash him because like I said, I don't know the full scope of the situation. I can't pretend to, so I'm not going to try to speak out of turn, but I can look at that and say, if that's what's happening, because everybody's assuming that's what it is. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong to assume that we don't know. And so if there's not answers that come about in a concrete way, Speculation is all you got. So I'm all for people speculating when the answers don't come out. That's what I said about the vaccine situation as well. I said, well, we're not getting the answers. They don't have to provide them. But by not providing them, people's imaginations are going to run rampant if they want to do so. And that's that's all they're left with. So it's reasonable. I, it's, I feel the same exact way about the Audi situation. It's not a double standard. I did not talk about it then and, and not talk about it. I'm talking about it in both cases because I think it's both relevant to Cardinals baseball. It's strange. Whether it's whether it's Yachty's basketball team or something else, You you I don't think it's deniable at this point that his 2022 has been strange. It started out with didn't know when he was going to come to spring training. I was down there in Jupiter and nobody knew. Everybody just kind of maybe assumed that he would show up, but it was like, is it a guarantee? Nobody really knew what the timeline for that was going to be. And then he showed up, and it's been rather evident that he is not in the shape this season that he was, especially earlier in the season. He's wearing down. It makes sense. He's been playing this game for a long time. The catcher position is so demanding. It stands to reason that he's maybe not in the physical form to play 162 games in a season like he always wanted to and felt like he should be able to do for his team. But that's what Yadi had always done. So... Is Should he be tarred and feathered for going to Puerto Rico for a couple of days in the middle of the season? No. We do have an interesting mindset around sports. Like if you were a, a doctor or if you were uh, someone who worked at the supermarket or you were a cashier at McDonald's, like if you were any, any job, if you were a, a laborer in a factory making widgets, it doesn't matter what it is. If you had a job and you're like, hey, today I I don't feel well, I need to. I need to not be at work today. 
that should be a thing. Like there are there are protocols for that, and, and hopefully you've got a, a job where you can take days off when you're sick or days off when you you need personal time, whatever. And like we don't really think about athletes like humans the way we ought to on that scale, but it would make sense that athletes would need that sometimes as well. However, when it happens, it's just there's so many things going on with Yachty. Well, it's an injury, but what's the status of his injury if he's in Puerto Rico for six weeks or whatever it was? And then those questions start to come about, and then articles are written. When's Yachty coming back? Oh, suddenly they come up with an answer, and and he says when he's going to rehab and return, and he does, but then only a number of weeks have gone by, and now it's, it's a couple of days in Puerto Rico. We don't know the circumstances surrounding each of these, and we have to acknowledge the possibility that Yachty's just got a lot of things going on. And that's why I, I, you're not going to hear me come on here and rip Yachty, but it wasn't bashing Arnado and Goldie when I talked about and questioned the situation. It's not bashing Yachty right now, but it is peculiar. And that's sort of where I, I intend to leave it, I think. The context of it matters, and we may never get the full context of it, right? But if you're a Cardinals fan who thinks it's strange, you're right. And if you're a Cardinals fan, like like some that I had tweeting at me tonight that said, oh, my family member is from Seattle. They live in Seattle, but they're from St. Louis, and they flew into Arizona this weekend to try and see Yachty Saturday or Sunday, figuring he's going to play in one of those games, so I'll go to both. I'm going to see Yachty as a Cardinals fan one last time before he retires. That sucks because Yachty Armelina is not there anymore. He's he's not in Arizona. You, hopefully you can catch him in Chicago on Monday. And that's not Yachty's problem. Like, as a professional athlete, he's got people to answer to, his family. He's got a lot. You know, you can't make everybody happy necessarily. But that's a real-world implication for a Cardinals fan who tried to rearrange their week, get off of work, stake out time to to try and make sure they got to see Yachty one last time before he retired. You know, those are real things that happen. So there are implications. And and that's why I just say, look, the notion of we're going to be the arbiter of who can be upset about certain things on Twitter is a joke. And it got me a little bit fired up on Saturday night because I think everybody has the right to feel however they want to about this. It's a peculiar situation. You can't act like it's nothing because it's obviously something that doesn't happen every day. Like how often do you hear about somebody they're put on the restricted list? What is What even is that? People Googling what the restricted list is because it's not a familiar term necessarily. That well, It's not the IL. He's not hurt. Well, where is he? It's going to Puerto Rico. It's not the bereavement list. He was on that earlier this season. Like, it's happened a few different times, and so people are naturally going to be curious. And for those people who are, I am with you. It's an interesting situation. Maybe it's our business. Maybe it's not. If it's personal in nature and there are things going on that it's nobody's business to, to make it public knowledge, then it absolutely isn't my business. And that's why I'm not, I, I you know, you get the, these people who say, well, the media, they don't, they don't do right, and they're not doing their jobs by asking the hard questions to the audience. All right, well. Are you in those rooms? Like, are you wanting to ask out your Melina, hey, you've got this personal thing going on. I'm going to grill you about it. Like, where do you think that's going to get you? Like, realistically, what do you, what, what's your end game there? It's got to be a little bit more tact to it. And if it is a personal situation with Yachty, there's, there's no good way to go about getting those answers because, yeah, we're not owed them. And, and the, the questions will be asked, I'm sure. And I hope for Yachty's sake that it's it's not anything, you know, personal or unfortunate for family or anything like that. I hope it's I hope all is good. And and I felt like I had the same thing with with Nolan and, and our, uh Goldie with the vaccines, where yes, questions were asked, but when you don't get answers, we can comment upon the fact that they didn't really give anything besides vague answers. But that's not 
no one's being tarred and feathered. Nobody's being burned at the stake. And to levy some criticism through spoken or written word because of a lack of concrete substance to some claims that somebody feels, yeah, I, I would like to hear more about this so that I have a better basis for understanding the decision. You offer some criticism and then it's over. Like, it's okay to criticize and it's okay to question without, like, it should all be contextualized. Just because it's talked about does not mean it it's amplified to something that I think about every moment of my day. I haven't thought about Arnauto and Goldschmidt with the vaccine stuff since, you know, it happened until today. And it was all being discussed again. With this Yachty stuff, it's happening now. So we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to move on because, no, none of it's the end of the world. It's sports. It's just sports, guys. So anyway, that's kind of my soapbox for tonight. And I did it again. I said, I'm not going to do an hour tonight. And uh, we're right here approaching an hour. So the Yachty stuff is interesting. Possible that we get more explanation when Yachty returns. Uh, I won't be in the... Uh, at the series in Chicago at Wrigley Field where Yachty is supposed to return on Monday. I won't be there. I'm my, uh, my kid could come any, any day now, realistically. So we're having a kid and uh, I'm not doing uh, much traveling and hopefully in September, I'll be still locked in with you guys and be safe daily. If I'm gone for a couple of days, just so you know now, and I'll try to mention it as well as we move along here the next couple of weeks. But if I suddenly disappear into the ether, you probably know why. But I'll try to hop on here at least for a quick five-minute update and say, hey, yeah, here's what's happening. Having a baby, and uh, talk to you guys soon. But all this to say, I did it again. I went an hour. And yet, I do think this Yachty stuff is worth talking about. I think it's interesting. I think if he's, yeah, if he's going there to watch basketball, boy, oh, boy. That's not a good look. It's not, it doesn't align with the, the, the warrior Yachty who's been there for his team, and that has always been the most important thing. So, I'm not saying that's what's happened here. I don't know. And I'll be intrigued to to see whether we find out anything further. And it may just be at the end of the day, no, it's not the basketball. It's a personal matter, and it it's not something that we'll explore further because of that. And, you know, no no more info will come out for that reason. We won't know till we know, though, and that's why it's just I'm all about context. I like it. It's good. It's helpful. So that's what we know for now. I appreciate you guys for joining me. Let me know via the DMs at, at bshafer12 on Twitter if you've got more thoughts on any of this. Can Albert get to 700? What do you make of the Yachty situation? Is it something that you, you worry about? You worry for him? You worry for the team? How does it affect the Cardinals? Anything that you'd like to know, uh, go ahead and shoot hit me up. Uh, shoot me a DM at bshafer12 on Twitter. And uh, you can also go the voice message route, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. That can be a voicemail that would be played live on the show on bshafe daily in a future episode. So that's another way that you can do it. But if you've hit me up in DMs before, love that. Keep it up. And if I've not gotten to something that you've asked, remind me again. I would love to uh, correct that wrong. So appreciate you guys. As always, thank you once again for listening. Going to wrap things up here right around an hour. I said I wasn't going to do it, and I did. But thank you guys once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Beach Shave Daily. Peace.